Queen. This is Meg Bertel Brown and your host of the All Things Pageantry podcast. I have been in pageantry since I was 14 years old. I am a previous national title holder, the current Mrs. Texas Petite, owner of and pageant coach with the Crown Academy, and now a pageant podcaster. In this podcast, I will provide you with tips on how to step up your A game as a pageant contestant, share amazing pageant stories from my sister queens, and keep you updated on all the latest pageant buzz. So come on and let's dive into all things pageantry. Well, hello, this is Meg Brettle Brown, host of All Things Pageantry Podcast. And today we have the current Mrs. Southwest Petite 2022, Barbie Ingle. Welcome, Barbie. How are you? I am doing good. So glad to be here, Meg. So glad to be sharing with everybody. Yes. Very. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I was reading through your bio and what struck me is that you um, are a chronic pain educator and patient advocate. Now, as a nurse practitioner, I'm very familiar with those words and what that means. But can you tell your, our audience what exactly um, an educator does in, in terms of the chronic pain and how are you an advocate for patients? So as an educator, I actually go in and teach medical professionals. I say I'm not a doctor, but I teach them. So, but I also teach nurses, nurse practitioners, physical therapists, occupational therapists about chronic pain and what it's like from the patient's perspective, what, what we face with challenges every single day and some of the ways that I found to overcome them or through my networking with other patients and caregivers, how they found to overcome those different challenges and share that, pass it on so that providers, because they reach more patients than, than technically we do, because they're seeing them uh, on a monthly basis, typically, when they have a chronic disease. So I'm basically educating them so that they can better educate the patients in their lives. Yeah. And as an advocate, I have done both uh, individual patient advocacy, working directly one-on-one with patients and caregivers, as well as uh, worked with legislation. And I've actually written six bills and two of them have been passed into law and i advocate through getting better access to individualized care and i believe everybody needs individualized care not everybody get lumped in no matter what disease you have that's the treatment you get i think it needs to be specific to each patient we were talking earlier how um you know i deal a lot with patients who do have pain that can't be controlled with over-the-counter Tylenol, ibuprofen, or even um, Tramadol. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about your story of, 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 of chronic pain? I was reading through your bio, but I really would love to have you kind of tell us um, in your own words how um, you, I guess, got on this chronic pain advo- you know, advocate journey. Thank you. I have been on this journey for over 20 years. And I first had endometriosis, which is a female problem. Men don't understand that at all. And uh, I went through a full hysterectomy and a oophorectomy, which is um, them taking out my uterus and, and ovaries. And uh, so basically at, at uh, 26 years old, I went into menopause. But I had also conquered the world and said like, oh, or conquered the pain, I thought. I'm like, yes, I'm taking on the world. And and I was living life to the fullest. And then in 2002, I was in a minor car accident 
that year I was going to turn 30 and I was entering in my first Mrs. Pageant. I was going to be uh, vying for the title of Mrs. Washington for Washington State. And I got in this car accident. Eight seconds changed my life. It sent me on a whole different trajectory of life. And I kind of got out of doing pageants and I was a head cheer and dance coach at Washington State University and had to leave all that behind and became, instead of a physical cheerleader that I was, became a mental cheerleader and started working on my own health, chronic issues, trying to find ways and create ways to get through the challenges we face as chronic pain patients. And um, I was over-treated, under-treated and mistreated in the healthcare system. Took 42 medical providers that got it wrong before the 43rd one actually looked at the whole me and said, oh, I see what's going on. And then I finally had a diagnosis of reflex sympathetic dystrophy. Reflex is anything in your body that's automatic. Sympathetic is your sympathetic nervous system. I felt like uh, my body was on fire and um, fire was going through my veins, through my blood. And dystrophy is loss of muscle and bone. And I spent seven years bed bound and wheelchair bound looking for something that could help me uh, I did take opiates for a while, but I uh, wanted to find other treatments and options that were available and started searching and found infusion therapy that was very helpful for me. And also I use an oral orthotic. Um, every night I sleep with it in. And then during the day when I'm not talking a lot or eating, I uh, have it in. I take it out to eat and talk but because uh, it does affect my speech. But um, having that in also helps uh, lower my nerve inflammation, my neuroinflammation. And uh, I just had to find other ways or search for other ways. I felt a calling or a need to. And that's how I got into advocacy. Every year, my family would do a um, service project between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we did different things. We went and sang Christmas carols through neighborhoods, or we went into nursing homes and spent time with people who didn't have family and friends around during those a holiday that holiday season. And I had so much trouble getting a diagnosis and getting treatment that uh, one of my siblings, my older brother, said, "You know, we should do something for people that are in the same situation because if if we can't get Barbie the resources and Barbie can't get the resources, there has to be other people having these challenges. So let's." Uh, create some tools for people that have these challenges. And my dad said, if we're going to do that, this is a lot bigger than one month a year. This is something we need to do, start a nonprofit, make this year round and really help people. And uh, we started in 2006. And uh, now the, the foundation went from being a little family foundation to the International Pain Foundation. And I served as president for 10 years and uh, really helped get that um, to, to a new level that was bigger than just our family and friends and small network, but really create a network of about 100,000 people that around the world that are dealing with similar challenges of living with chronic pain and their family and friends and really making it into something that is supportive and can sustain the chronic pain community uh, internationally to raise awareness increase education and create tools that people can use in their everyday life. Yeah. So that's kind of the evolution of the whole yeah. process. That, that's amazing. I mean, 
I don't know, I mean, how you feel about it, but working, I mean, in the nursing, in the medical field for 20 some years, chronic pain is still kind of a taboo because you like, you automatically think, oh, they're just begging for more, you know, more drug medicate, pain medications, the pain, it really isn't real. But I mean, working as a family nurse practitioner, I've, I have dealt directly with people who just, you know, their pain has started from a variety of reasons, whether it's from a car accident or whether it's they were ill and they caught a virus that changed you know, the chemistry of their body or, or even women with menopause, you know, you know, going older, it's, you know, your body changes and that slightest thing can really cause just a, I mean, there's that pain is, yeah, yeah. Change your life. And, and yeah, I mean, it it is. And so many um, practitioners, I will agree, don't know enough. And um, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, I wish, you know, in in training, in school, they would provide like, chronic pain like a semester or a half a you know half a semester of information because it's just so prevalent right well and there i also have a big focus on rare diseases and there's about ten thousand rare diseases that have been um diagnosed discovered at this point and less than five percent of those have any treatment to them so there's no designation by the the fda so really, it, it's a lot bigger than people think. It's about one in every three people in the United States is affected by a chronic or rare disease. And there's not really a lot of, of treatments or options. People in the medical field get jaded. They think people are coming in. That's one of the things I advocate for is individualized care. And one of the ways that you can find out what medications work best for you. So there's no more, let's try this, or let's see what happens if you take this medication because there's a lot of adverse drug reactions with any medication. It is called, it's a test called pharmacogenomics, PGX for short. And those PGX tests can tell you how you individually with your genetics will respond to a medication. So if you're worried about addiction to a medication or why a patient is needing more medication of a specific type, then you can get this testing done and see all FDA approved medications and how that person responds to those and adjust their medications so that if they do have addiction, you can treat them for addiction, but you can also treat them for any other conditions they have without holding back a medication that could be beneficial or give them more life or energy to, to get through the challenges that they're facing with their health and get them into society doing more things. So really getting down to the individualized health is so important for so many reasons. And PGX testing is something I highly recommend. Wow. Yeah, I'll definitely have to look into that for, for my patients and let my colleagues know because I, I wasn't aware of that. And I think that is such a smart way of, of administering and medications because, yeah, you're right. It's like, here, let's try this for a little bit. We can always right. increase it. And then, yeah. And Or you have to fail this one before we can give you that one. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you have this this genetic data about the patient, you can look at that and say, this is where we need to start. And it's easier to tell the insurance companies, we're starting here because of genetics. And it really gives you, it, it rearranged my whole entire treatment plan, really, because now we can go look at that and there's no more trying and going through all these horrible side effects. It's, this will work for me. And let's just start there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, 
Yeah, because I was thinking insurance companies, they want they want proof. They want they want documentation that this didn't work and this failed. And but yeah, I mean, if they have that that test, the test results. Yeah, you can't really. It's the proof. It's the proof insurance needs. It also helps protect the provider who's prescribing to the patient to be able to say, no, look, this is based on their genetics and there's a reasoning behind what we're doing. It's not just throwing medications at the patient to see what helps and what doesn't. Right. So it, it's incredibly helpful. And I can, I'll send you offline, not not during this interview, but I can my results so you can see how detailed it is and just right. how much it helps. It's very easy to read. It's color coded and it's very helpful. Oh, wow. Yes, please, please do. Awesome. So then um, you briefly mentioned about your history in pageantry. So most of the pageants that, that we know require or, you know, would um, highly recommend you have a platform or, you know, one of those causes. So has, has this pain, you know, pain at, or pain advocacy and awareness, has that been kind of your pageant uh, platform? It has been. And so I just got back into pageant. So I turned 50 and I said, you know, I was supposed to do this at 30, but I'm now in a physically, I'm in a position where I can get back out and use my platform in a new way to help expand our message and help people learn about all the tools that are available for them. And so I decided at 50 years old to enter. And, and, uh, as you said, uh, I think we said earlier, I am the 2022, uh, Mrs. Southwest Petite and at nationals for, for this, I received the only impact award. I didn't even know it was an award that we could win. I yeah. just do volunteer work because I believe it's my purpose on earth to help people learn about the health system and ways to improve it and individualized care. So I absolutely use it as my platform and use my crown as a way to grab attention and pull people in and then get to share with them my platform and how we're helping patients and the different projects that I'm involved with. And I actually work with the International Pain Foundation. I was on the board of directors for 10 years. Now I am just a straight volunteer and I encourage other people to do that as well. Cause a lot of people were like, you know, you have these titles and you can do these things because you have a title. And I said, no, anybody can volunteer. So I'm showing people you, you don't need to be a president or on the board of directors to be doing something impactful in your communities. You can, you can do a lot. So winning the impact award at nationals was like winning the national title to me because that is my purpose on earth. And Coming up, I I will be competing in, I, I, I hold the title of uh, Elite Miss Universal Petite Thailand because I was born in Thailand and um, I'm continuing going out and doing uh, charity work for Global Genes, which is a, another international um, nonprofit for raising awareness of rare diseases, for rare disease legislative advocates, for every Every Life Foundation and um, many more. And, and people come to me now with their charity ideas or platforms, and I can help lift those up as well. So I'm really excited to share about what people are doing when it comes to uh, helping the communities and charity work. And I also enjoy sharing my own, which also helps raise the platform up. So how did you get into pageantry? And then how did you get in? How did you find the petite system? 
I got into pageantry as a child. I think it's something that my mom wanted to do when she was a child, but wasn't able or allowed <laughs> um, because of her parents. And uh, so something she encouraged me to do. And I did also model a lot. So I would do, even though I was petite as a, as a youth model, you don't, they don't necessarily look at how tall you are. So I got away with, I'm five feet tall since eighth grade. Uh, I'm still five feet tall. And, um, and I was able to model runway and in print and really loved it and uh, loved being a part of that. And even as I went through college and coaching, I still would, would participate in pageants. And then, um, you know, I, like I said, I was going to be participating, going on 30 years old in the, the Mrs. Pageant. And then I it, couldn't. So when I turned 50, I was looking back at my bucket list and I had changed the item on my bucket list to become a pageant judge, which I still would like to do at some point. But I said, you know what? I'm 50 years old. And I said, there has to be pageants out there for people like me who I would fit into uh, and and I would be a good fit for. And when I, f I was searching, I found the petite system and saw that they didn't just have, you know, your, your local and your state pageants, but they also had the at-large titles. They also had the ability to go on to the international uh, pageant after you, you compete here in the United States if, if, uh, or in whatever country you're in once you win that title. And um, really love the system and love the emphasis on petite. I love being petite and felt like that was something that I spotlighted in myself for my, for my whole life. If I'm going to be five feet tall, I still can make a big impact. And um, I even did a campaign where I did uh, pain effects. I saw tall and small. So um, it's, it was always something that was right there with me. So I really, when I saw the petite system, I really liked it. And then I also had a friend of the family who competed a few years earlier. And um, and she actually went to the international pageant as an ambassador for the United States. So I actually went to her when I was going to do this uh, pageant in 2022 and said, hey, I, I'm thinking about doing this. And she told me even more behind the scenes of the experiences that she had and the camaraderie and the sisterhood with the other pageant contestants. And uh, I really enjoyed that. And I've even got, since winning, was able to, to pull in other pageant title holders for different events that I've been doing and say, hey, we're doing this event in your area. And I would love to have you come and represent uh, with your with your title and walk the red carpet or the orange carpet or pink or blue or whatever color it is for those different events. And uh, got to pull in other um, pageant title holders to, to come and participate with me and help raise awareness. So it's really something that I found by accident, wanting to fulfill a, a bucket list item and, and created a sisterhood and friendship out of over the last couple of years. So when is the, uh, the, uh, universal pageant going to be? The universal pageant is going to take place. I believe it's June, 2024. Okay. So, but I'm already prepping and preparing and, yeah. <laughs> and looking for my, my outfits and, and um, talking to other pageant title holders that have 
competed in the past there and said, hey, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what advice do you have? And uh, have have been taking all that in, trying to prep and prepare yeah. for na- for internationals. Right. For, and it's on a cruise ship, which is yes, it's a on a lot. cruise ship. When someone says, if you didn't live where you live now, where would you live? And I say, I would live on a cruise ship. I love cruise ships because you can go and experience so many different cultures and and countries and places just taking a cruise that you wouldn't normally do if you had to fly somewhere for a week and stay there. You wouldn't get to have all the same experiences. So I love cruise ships. I love that the pageant's on a cruise ship. And I'm really looking forward to participating. Yes. No, I, I love, I love cruises. I feel like you make almost like long lasting friends because you're in like a small space and you kind of go, you know, do the same things. And when you're off the island doing tours, if you see them like, Oh, Hey, yeah. So it's, it's a great experience. I cannot wait to follow y'all in June uh, um, with the universal petite system. That's going to be so, or pageant, that's going to be so pageant. wonderful. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So what would, uh, what kind of advice would you give someone who is um, new to pageants, may not know a lot about pageants and how they work? You know? So how, how would you, you know, um, give them some advice? I would say get as organized as you can ahead of time. Go through social media and look and see what kind of things stand out to you. Like, does this fit me? Does this not fit me? Because choosing a pageant system, as you were saying, it, it really does matter if you fit into that pageant system. And there's so many different systems out there. Find the one that you fit in best with. And uh, also look and see, like, were the judges choosing women who had blonde hair or brown hair? Not that you can totally change your hair color. I mean, you can with dye, but you want, you want to be you. But are they looking for people with long hair, short hair? How can you stand out from what their normal is? but not too far outside of what the system is, is looking for. Uh, same thing with, with your outfits. You know, are, are they looking for long flowy outfits? Are they looking for mermaid dresses? What types of outfits appeal to you, your body type, your style, but also fit in with the different systems and, and really organizing what, what you're going to be doing. Also when you're packing to go, I, it takes me a couple of weeks to pack. Yeah. (laughs) and I, I lay out all my all of my stuff for for each day and 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 even you know there's multiple costume changes and outfit changes and depending on what you're doing you know you need to have something comfy to wear in between while you're getting your hair and makeup done but but also the hotels are really cold so you want to bring something that you know keeps you warm enough while you're sitting there getting your hair and makeup done or um, in between events uh, on the different days, what you can wear to be comfortable yet stylish when you go and hang out with, with your, your, uh, sister Queens. So really, really pay attention to that plan and prepare, set your stuff out and, and, uh, pack it in a way that it doesn't get damaged. Also, if you have to do a talent, well, if you have to do talent or, um, state costume type of, of categories, make sure that what you're bringing can actually go on an airplane if you need an airplane ride, or if you have to drive across the country, do, do the wings of your costume fit in your vehicle that you're going to be driving across the country and uh, really paying attention to that. What can you create here? What will you have to find when you, when you get to the, the pageant? And, um, also, another thing that I did, having a 20-year gap in pageantry, I went to 
um, makeup artists here locally and said, what works, what doesn't work? What's the new styles in makeup so that I fit in uh, stylistically with with the makeup. I, I remember my mom wore the exact same, she passed away now, but she wore the exact same um, eyeshadow on her eyes the exact same way for since I was born <laughs> till the day she died. And, you know, she could have done a few little tweaks to, to how she was wearing her eye makeup and it would have given her a totally different look an updated look. Make sure that you're doing that and you're seeing what the styles are and and fitting in with with how you're going to present yourself and appear and also make it something you're comfortable with. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because recently I saw something on TikTok about this makeup artist saying that women need to change their makeup style every five to 10 years because, you know, as we get older, our face changes. We don't have you know, like here in the eyes and the cheeks, we don't have like that kind of, I don't want to say fat, but you know, those fat deposits in our face as we get older because it changes and it moves. And so, yeah, I definitely update your makeup style and see, and, and, and see if it's pleasing to your face because, you know, not all <laughs> the wings and the shadows. and yeah. Absolutely. And whoever is doing your makeup for the pageant, if you're not doing it yourself, then if you, if you have somebody doing your hair and makeup, Make sure that they know you. Make sure like you have some pictures of this is what I like my makeup to look like so that they can give you more of a style of you because it is very difficult to go on stage when you don't feel like you look like yourself in the mirror before you hit the stage. So, you know, make sure you have that conversation of, yes, I want to be really, you know, have my facial features shown on stage but I also like these colors best, or this is the color of my dress. So don't put the wrong color eyeshadow that will clash with my dress or, or, you know, will make you stand out for the wrong reasons. So make sure you have those discussions with, with the people who are assisting you in prepping yeah. for the pageant. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Cause you don't really think about that, but yes, I, yeah. I, I, I will. Yes. I say that's important to, very important to know. <laughs> yeah. and, and at nationals. So I, because of my the chronic pain conditions that I live with, I use um, fake nails, but I use the, the ones that press on, which was helpful because it, I could flick them off real quick and and put the new colors on um, for different outfits as, as was for prelims, for finals, it making into the finals. It's so fast. You don't really have time to do that. So you have to have something that's neutral that can go with everything or go with your gown and then everything else will, will be secondary. But, um, one of my nails between the dressing room and the stage you, you get in these lines and you're waiting and I'm in line waiting. And all of a sudden I look down and one of my, one of my press on nails is missing. Oh, and I'm like, Oh no. So now I'm like looking all over the floor and people are helping me look all over. Like I lost my nail. Oh. And, and, got to the stage and it's my turn to go. And you just have to like, in my mind, I'm like, everybody's going to see that my one nail is not the same as the other nine. I, I just, you know, you felt like everybody's going to see this really nobody in the audience can see it. Don't get fixated on that or let that bring your own facial expressions or energy down. You just have to go out and own it. And I just curled my pinky up a little bit. Yeah. There <laughs> you go. Make it work. No, but not even my husband noticed. 
that my pinky was curled up a little bit and the rest of my nails were on and one nail was missing. Nobody noticed. Only, only I knew that. So don't give away on stage. If you have a malfunction as you're heading to the stage, yeah. pull yourself together, take a deep breath, own it and walk out there and present yourself the best you can be in that moment. Yes. The show must go on. It must go on. Yes. <laughs> it goes on whether you're ready or not. So just yeah. go. <laughs> Keep going. Yes. Yeah. All right, Barbie. So what are, um, what would be your last um, advice or your, your advice for people facing challenges? Like how would you encourage someone to just keep, you know, keep going? I would say there's great reason for hope. All you have to do is reach out and seek help. And when you do that, you can get through anything. Awesome. That's great. Yep, exactly. Exactly. All right. So where can people find you, whether on social media? I know you have a website. Yes. Um, and that's what, what's the, the, the address for the website? It's my name. So original Barbie Okay. And my uh, Facebook and Instagram are Barbie Ingle Official. And that's Barbie Ingle Official all together. And then uh, Twitter is Barbie Ingle. Okay, perfect. Or X. I don't know if I should call it X. I guess I, I, I know, it. right? Yeah. X, X is Barbie Ingle. Yeah. Well, this has been such a delight. I'm so glad I got to get to know you better. I've seen you on social media and um, like I said, I'll be definitely watching you when Universal Petites you know, comes up in June. Um, and hopefully we'll communicate more between now and then, um, whether it's uh, via DMs or just, you know, face-to-face type of thing on like a phone or whatnot. So, um, but yeah, it was so good meeting you. And um, yeah, so if you would like to follow Barbie and her journey, you can look at the social, uh, social, um, social media and website. I'll put it on the show notes and you'll have a good day. Alrighty, thank you. Thank you, Meg.